Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Uh, it, it is good to be here today. Good morning. Hope you're all doing well. I am Jacob, as Pastor Chris has just said. I'm a church's youth pastor. And I do want to say, if you're tuning in online, thank you so much. We love you. We appreciate you. If you're ever in the Charleston area, you're more than welcome to come visit us in person as always. Uh, but let's go ahead and just dive right into our message today. We are in a series called Summer Reading here at Coastal. And if you were here last week, then you got to listen to uh, PC kick off that uh, uh, week one of this series. And he did a fantastic job with that. And uh, summer reading is very similar to at the movies in the sense that we are not preaching from these books themselves. I do not have this book open in front of me. I'm not preaching from the book. We are simply using ideas or themes from the book to dive into God's word. And so uh, the book uh, that we are springboarding the message off of today is called Out of the Cave by Pastor Chris Hodges. And uh, Pastor Hodges is a well-respected pastor who leads an amazing church called Church of the Highlands based in Alabama. And Pastor Hodges uses this book, Out of the Cave, to highlight the life of the prophet Elijah to delve into the topic of depression. And so my job in choosing where to go with this message was honestly a pretty easy. Uh, today we're going to walk through some scripture and we're going to talk about depression. And it is my job to condense what could honestly be a multi-week series into one message for us today. And so rather than trying to hit every single point and every single aspect of, you know, this topic or this idea or even this text, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a passage of scripture verse by verse and we're going to allow God's word uh, to speak concerning this issue that so many of us uh, have struggled with or have at least experienced at some point in our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings. We're going to be in the first 13 verses of 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but of course it'll be on the screen for you as well. Um, you know, I would probably guess that most everyone in this room has been impacted by depression in some way. Either you've experienced this in some way or you know someone who has walked through a series of depression. Maybe you're here now or you're here online and you were walking through this yourselves. And, you know, I'm not just talking about the blues. I'm talking about, you know, potentially real clinical depression. In fact, as of 2020, three years ago, approximately 21 million Americans suffered from depression. And I don't think I'm doing crazy mental gymnastics to think that there's probably a good possibility that that number has grown given what has been happening in the world over these last three years. And so in light of those statistics, I truly believe that our passage, 1 Kings 19, in the story of Elijah, this scripture can be impactful for us today. And my prayer is that you are blessed by this message. But before we can dive into 1 Kings chapter 19 and walk through it, we need to go over some of the context. We need to know who is this person? We're going to be talking about Elijah. Who was Elijah and why was Elijah important? Well, to, to get you up to speed today, Elijah was a prophet of God. And Elijah not only spoke to the people on God's behalf, but he even uh, worked miracles and God displayed his power through Elijah. Elijah was not just any prophet. He was a pro prophet who was extremely, extremely close to God. In fact, Elijah was one of the few at the transfiguration of Jesus, which was a tremendous honor for him. Elijah's story really begins in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah is this prophet of Israel. And Israel has done what they have done 
over and over again throughout the Old Testament where they were serving God, they were good for a time, and then they begin serving and doing what they want. They begin pursuing their own desires and honoring and worshiping gods that were not the one true God. And they are led astray by this wicked king named King Ahab and his queen, Queen Jezebel. Elijah is used by God. God instructs and uses Elijah to hold the nation accountable, to instruct them to return to him. And so Elijah says, hey, if you're not going to return to God, I am going to pray for rain to cease. And until you return to God, it's not going to rain. And so for three and a half years, it does not rain. And this is really where the climax of Elijah's life happens. King Ahab becomes fed up. He's like, there has been a drought for three and a half years. Uh, Elijah, I am challenging you to a duel. And this was not a duel in the octagon or anything cool like that. Well, it was pretty cool, but it wasn't that type of cool. It was a duel between the gods of Ahab and the one true God of Elijah. And to summarize really quickly what happens, the God of Elijah, the one true God, humiliates King Ahab and his prophets. And he proves Yet again, that he is the one true God. Elijah is victorious against their prophets. And this is where we pick up our passage and our story here today. Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal and King Ahab on a place called Mount Carmel. And Elijah is probably on cloud nine right now. Raise your hand if you served with us on VBS just a few weeks ago. So we got a few people in here. If you did, I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of our church's heart. Uh, we really appreciate you. But maybe you can empathize or at least put yourself in this place where you're exhausted, right? You know, maybe the first day or two you're good, but you start to get to the end of the week and man, you are just, you've about, you've about had it. And you get to the end and you are tired. You are barely making your way through. And then something happens on that last day where you have seen God move throughout the week. And it's like that extra burst of energy. Like you're tired, but you are so pumped. You're so excited. Our Peru team might be able to uh, like relate to that very well right now where they're probably exhausted, but they've seen God move in such a big way that it's okay. They're like energized at the same time. And so Elijah is on cloud nine. He's, he's excited. He's just seen God move in an amazing way. And this is where our story picks up in 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's go ahead and read the first four verses. It says this, Ahab the king told Jezebel, his wife, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. What we have to recognize is that Elijah is used to winning in ministry. Like, when God has moved in Elijah's life, he's used to people responding in the appropriate way. Elijah was thinking, God has just demonstrated his power in an amazing and powerful way. Finally, King Ahab, King Jezebel, they're gonna get it. They're gonna turn to God. They're gonna worship him as the one true God. And Jezebel flat out surprises Elijah. She catches him off guard and she tells him, rather than repenting and going to God, she wants to kill Elijah. And immediately Elijah feels two things. He's shocked, but he also feels fear. 
Elijah begins to run away because he's so afraid. And he goes to this place called Beersheba, which is essentially as far south, as far away from Jezebel as he could get. He is so afraid of her. He is just running as far away from her as he can. And he, he gets to Beersheba. And I want us to keep in mind, he probably hasn't prepared a lot for this journey. Like he heard this from decree from Jezebel. And so he hasn't prepared very much, but he's also probably looking his, over his shoulder at every moment thinking, all right, when are they going to come? When, when are they going to arrive to kill me? And so Elijah is afraid and he gets to Beersheba and he actually does something pretty interesting. He tells his servant to stay behind. Hey, we've gotten to Beersheba, but I need you to stay here. I need to go by myself and I need to talk to God. So Elijah is afraid. He is now isolated. And then in verse four, this is what he says. He says, it is enough now. What Elijah is telling God right there, right here, is he's saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't operate this way. I can't live this out anymore. In fact, Elijah even says, God, perhaps it is better if you would just take my life away from me altogether. He's in such a dark place that death itself looks better than being alive. The same man where a few days earlier he had seen God move in a mighty and big way. He had seen God earn victory and look where he is now. And Coastal, this leads us into our first point for today is that children of God are not immune to depression. I wanna be very clear that Elijah loved God, but one moment, this Jezebel's decree, it changed his perspective. Elijah rejects consulting and going to God's voice and he listens to the voice of Queen Jezebel and he runs himself into the furthest, darkest and most isolated place he could find where he is begging God to get him out of it, even if it meant not being here anymore. What I see is that if Elijah can slip into that place mentally, then coastal, so can we. Now I'm going to pause right there because depression is something that our culture is still constantly learning about. And it feels like just until a few years ago, there were a ton of myths around this topic. And maybe some people, maybe even here today, still believe some of these myths. And so there's two myths that I believe that this passage clearly just debunks. Two myths about depression that I know 30, 20, even 10 years ago were widely thought of even in the church. And I just want to be clear that God's word debunks them. The first depression myth is this, is that depression happens only to those who are mentally weak. You know, maybe you thought this about others, but maybe you've even thought this about yourself. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with this and you're saying, man, I am just not mentally tough enough to get over this on my own. Or maybe, maybe if my loved one would just toughen up, they would just be more mentally strong, they would be, you know, they'd be fine, they'd get over it. But the story of Elijah is very clear that depression isn't something that only weak-minded people struggle with. If you think that, then you would have to assume that Elijah himself was weak-minded. But when we look at scripture, it doesn't paint that picture of Elijah at all. Elijah had battled and bested some of the brightest and most spiritual pe people that Ahab could bring up against him. Elijah had withstood living in a land for three and a half years without rain, which by the way, everybody in the land knew that Elijah was the prophet who prayed for no rain. They would have seen him walking by. That's the guy who prayed for no rain and it hasn't rained for three and a half years. Hey, we probably need to have a conversation. I mean, Elijah probably had to deal with a lot of things mentally throughout that time. This was not a mentally weak person. Scripture shows that Elijah was strong mentally, but what we see in this passage, passage is that even he struggled with this issue, with depression. 
And so God's word rejects this idea that depression is only a symptom of the weak-minded. The second myth about depression that I believe God's word clearly debunks is that depression happens to those who aren't walking closely to God. Maybe we think this about ourselves or maybe we've heard this and, and we think, you know, if someone is struggling with depression, they, they just need to pray harder. They need to get in their word. Maybe they're not as close to God. Maybe my walk with God isn't as close as I should be. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't be struggling with that. But this passage cannot oppose that idea any more clearly. Remember, Elijah isn't just some guy. He isn't just another prophet. This wasn't what we would call today as a cultural Christian, a cultural follower of God. This was a prophet of God. He had seen God move in mighty ways. He had prayed for rain to stop and rain had stopped. He had prayed for someone to be raised from the dead and that had happened. He had bested Ahaz's prophets through the power of God. He was at the Transfiguration Coastal. If anyone has a stronger close walk with God, it is Elijah. But how quickly from the moment of victory at Mount Carmel, does he slip into the state of fear and anxiety and isolation and depression? If you look at the passage, it happens in three verses. It happens at a few days at best. From the moment of seeing God be victorious to saying, Elijah was afraid. And the point I'm making is this. Just because you're walking closely to God, that doesn't mean depression can't happen to you. Children of God are not immune to depression, as our first point says. And you know what, Coastal? As a minister of the gospel, as someone who loves God's word and loves spiritual discipline and wants you to be close to God, and honestly, that saddens me. You know, I wish I could tell you, hey, the cure for what you're walking through, just open the Bible and then you'll be immediately cured. You'll be good. Just, just be closer to God and you won't struggle with this issue anymore. But the fact is, even if we are in Christ, we still live in a sinful world and we still have to deal with the ramifications that sin has brought on us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are a new creation. And yes, if you are a believer, you are a new creation, but we still have flesh and bone and sin is actively working to pull us and to draw us away from God, from the Father. I can even give you an example from my own life for this to be true. I had struggled with depression twice in my life and they could not have happened at more different times for me spiritually. The first happened when I was a sophomore slash junior in high school and I was a professing believer at this time, but I was not walking closely to God uh, near as much as I should have been at this time. I was very distant from God. Um, and, and I remember my soccer coach, he, he was the one who really called it out and recognized it in me because I didn't even know I was walking through this season. And he had known me for a few years, Coach Brian. And he said, Jacob, like something has changed in you over this past year. You used to be this joyful person. You used to have so much energy and be so easygoing. And now that the joy is gone, you're so easily angered now and you're so bitter. And he asked me what was going on. And so we uncovered what was happening in my life and we addressed it. But the fact is I wasn't walking closely to God at that time. And the second time I walked through a season of depression could not have been a more polar opposite time. I was in Bible college. I was in the word daily. I was closer to God than I had ever been in my life. I had spiritual mentors who were discipling me and investing in me and praying for me. I was involved, uh, heavily involved in the church. I mean, I was as close to God as I had ever been. Yeah, I was really, really struggling, specifically my second, the second semester of my freshman year. 
In fact, my body stopped functioning the way that it was supposed to during that semester. I had gone from playing football for seven straight years of my life, and my parents are here today. They would tell you, I could eat a whole horse. Like, I could eat so much food. And I would sit with a full plate of food in the cafeteria at North Greenville University, and I'd take a bite, and I just couldn't eat. I just wasn't hungry. My body wasn't functioning the way that it was supposed to be at that time. And so the point that I'm making, though, is I was in the Word daily during that season. And so this idea that depression only happens to people who are distant from God, Coastal, that's a myth. Not only can I tell you from my own life, but God's Word shows that not to be true. And maybe you're wondering, you know, Jake, why are you sharing those myths with us? Why are those important? It's because in light of those two myths, maybe you're here in person struggling with this or you're online and you're struggling with this. I wanna encourage you with this. If you're struggling with this depression, with this issue, don't beat yourself up. You're not a bad Christian if you're walking through this season right now. God doesn't love you any less if you're experiencing this. Your purpose is not lost. In fact, I want to go ahead and move on. And we recognize where Elijah is now, but what does God do about it? How does God address what's going on in Elijah's life? Let's look at verses 5, and we're going to read the first part of 5 through 9. It says this. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on, that, on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the coast will just underline the, the first part of verse nine. This is where he goes. He entered a cave there and spent the night. And I love what happens here because again, Elijah being terrified, he runs from the voice of an individual who God has just bested rather than running to the voice of God. He is in this fearful and dark place. And you know, God has just shown himself, revealed himself in a mighty way. Like if anyone should have confidence in God's power and God's ability to provide and to sustain, it should be Elijah right now. And so maybe you would think, you know, how is God going to respond to Elijah? Is he going to punish him? Is he going to scold him? How is almighty, righteous God going to respond? Well, we see in this passage that he doesn't scold him. He doesn't lecture him. He feeds him. He gives Elijah water. He tells Elijah to sleep. Elijah sleeps and then God repeats that process one more time. And I think we see something really important about the character and of who God is. And this is our second point for us today, Coastal. When we are struggling, God provides us exactly what we need. Again, rather than punishing Elijah, God being the good and caring father he is, he not only acknowledges where Elijah's at, but God also provides for the physical needs of Elijah then and there. God is considerate, he's compassionate, he's caring. But even in this sweet and caring act, I want to note something. God doesn't give Elijah what Elijah may have wanted in this moment. I mean, if, if God gave Elijah the option, hey, Elijah, would you like a nap and a loaf of bread? Or would you like me to like, hey, let me just get rid of sin altogether. Like, let's get rid of the source of the issue of someone who wants to kill you, or we can just get you a nap. You know, Elijah would probably pick, the, the, let's get rid of sin. Like, that's just the natural thing that he would pick. But God doesn't give him the option. He doesn't let Elijah choose what he wants. 
God in his sovereignty gave Elijah exactly what he needed so that later in his life, later in his ministry, Elijah could provide God the most glory in his life. And so with this passage, uh, so what we can see in this passage is that God is a God who doesn't give us what we want coastal, but he will always provide what we need in order for us to live out a life that brings him the most glory. And let me say that what each of us needs coastal is different from person to person. Elijah needed a nap. He needed some food. He needed some water. He needed a conversation. And maybe you need something different. You know, maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need a song that, that speaks that truth in your life that you have been missing. You know, maybe you need, uh, there's a passage of scripture that you really need. You know, maybe it's a, a conversation with a therapist. Maybe it's medication. I don't know what that need is for you. But the good news is God knows exactly what you need in order to give him the most glory in your life. But here's the hard part about that. Many times God will provide what we need, but sometimes it's really hard to receive it. Whether it's because of our pride or whether because we just don't recognize it, we don't receive what God is giving us to help us in that moment. And what I mean by that is when God provided Elijah help, Elijah recognized it and then he received it. He didn't say, hey, God, I see that you're providing me rest and food and that's cool, but I'm good. Like I can handle this on my own. I'm tough enough. I've got this. That's not what he does. He recognizes that almighty God is giving him what he needs. And so he gladly received it in coastal. We need to make sure that we do the same. When God in his goodness and grace gives us what we need, not what we want, but when he gives us what we need, we need to be ready to set our pride aside and to receive it with thanksgiving. And so Elijah does exactly that. He rests and God sends Elijah on his way. And here's what happens next. Again, he's in a cave at this point. He has wandered into the darkness of a cave. We pick up in verses nine through 10, it says this. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've, uh, Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. And I love this part because God asked Elijah a question and God is omniscient. That means that God is all knowing. He knows the answer to the question he's asking. But God asking this question, I believe, reveals something about him to us. And this is our third point for today, is that God wants us to go to him always, Coastal. Not just when times are great, not just when times are bad, but God wants us to go to him with our needs, with our desires, sometimes with our wants, with whatever that we're experiencing. He wants us to go to him always. It feels like right here, God is saying, hey, Elijah, you've had like 48-ish to 50-ish days to do this, but now's the time, come to me. What's going on? Talk to me. My ears are open for what you have to say. And Elijah takes that offer right up. I mean, Elijah kind of, he lets God have it here. He, he vents to God. He talks about how upset he is and about how unfair the situation is that he's in this position and we're seeing Another reminder that God is caring and considerate enough to even hear this, knowing that Elijah is going to answer this way. But I want to also note that Elijah says things that may or may not have been true in this moment. He says that he is the only one left. That's what he says in verse 10. And one commentary even points that that probably wasn't a true statement. 
God on Mount Carmel 40-ish days earlier had just proven himself to be the one true God. There were probably people in Israel who were ready to serve and pursue and go after God. But Elijah, in his upsetness, in this darkness, he's saying, I'm the only one left. And what we see here is that when depression and fear take a hold in our lives, we can sometimes begin to believe unreasonable things about ourselves and about our relationship with God. But the good news is God is always there. He's always ready for us to talk to him, to go to him, to run to his feet. It doesn't matter if we are in the best season of our lives or the absolute worst. And so Kozel, here's the pinnacle of the story. Elijah is frustrated, he's scared, he's isolated, he's now been fed, but he goes into this cave, he goes into this darkness. And let's pick up in verses 11 through 13. Here's what God does about uh, this, the state that Elijah is in. It says this, then he said, God, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I love this part of the story. God displays some miraculous and mighty examples of his power. But I want us to go ahead and write this down as our fourth and final point, Coastal. God meets us in the darkness gently. God shows dramatic manifestations of his power, but notice how how does God choose to appear to Elijah? How does God choose to finally reveal himself to Elijah? He appears as a soft and loving whisper. The same God who has the power to shake mountains to their core and can consume the whole earth and everything made in flame is the same God who meets Elijah in the darkness and the depths of a cave in a loving and gentle whisper. And it is this whisper, this encounter with God that changes Elijah's perspective. He hears this and he's ready to go. Verse 13 says that he wraps up his face and he leaves the darkness and he goes to the entrance of the cave. He responds. He doesn't just hear the voice of God. He doesn't just acknowledge that God is there with him. He responds. When God tells him to do something, to get up and leave the cave, Elijah listens and he responds. And Coastal, this is what I want you to see and to know and to apply today. The same God who met a vulnerable Elijah in the darkness of a cave where no one should go is the same God here today wanting to meet you in whatever darkness you're walking through. God is all powerful. He's mighty and he can shake this earth to its core, including your life, including my life. But rather than addressing us in our sin with a tight fist and with fire and with judgment, God went to Elijah in a soft and gentle whisper. And again, he wants to do the same for you here today. God is extending his grace to you through his son, Jesus. Maybe you're here today or you're here online and you're in turmoil. Maybe you're struggling with depression or maybe you're struggling with any other form of darkness. 
Maybe you've secluded yourself in that darkness as far in a cave as you can and there's nothing but darkness around you. My plea for you today, Coastal, is to listen to the grace-filled voice of God and to exit that darkness and to return and to go to him. But maybe you're here and you're just saying, man, I'm stuck. Jacob, I, I don't know how to go. I don't know the first step to take. I am surrounded by this darkness and I don't even know if God can reach me where I'm at now. So I wanna give you this verse, this passage. It's Psalm 139 verses 11 through 12. And I pray that this is an encouragement for you here today. It says this. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Whether the darkness you're surrounded by is depression or that darkness is something else, I want you to leave here knowing this today, Coastal. You're never too far gone. You're never too far in the dark for God to not be able to go. God loves you the same way he treated Elijah as Elijah ran into that cave is the same way he wants to treat you. Will you consider his grace-filled voice today? But will you not just consider it? Will you respond to that voice? It's one thing to acknowledge that he's speaking. It's one thing to say, hey, God, I get that you're extending your grace to me. I, I get that you died on the cross for me. I get that you want me to make you the Lord of my life and, and you want me to honor you and to live after you. But we have to actually make that decision. We have to actually make the choice and say, I'm gonna leave the darkness of the cave and I'm actually going to do this today. I'm going to go to the entrance where you are, God, and I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna fix my eyes on you exactly like Elijah did. Will you choose to run out of the, out of the darkness today and run to Jesus? Because so I can't promise you if you give your life to Jesus that he's gonna cure your physical depression but I can promise you that Jesus promises to heal your soul. Will you consider making him the Lord of your life and surrendering to him today? Coastal, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your servant, Elijah, God, and just working and moving through his life. Lord, I, I just want to lift up anyone in here or online who is walking through just any form of darkness, God, whether it be anxiety, depression, whatever it is that they're walking to, God. Lord, I pray that we would acknowledge that, Lord, you don't always give us what we want, but you will give us what we need in order to bring you the most glory in our lives. God, would we receive what we need in order to take steps towards healing? God, I pray that we would respond and take the major step of healing if we haven't gotten, that we would just make you the Lord of our lives, that we would honor you and worship you as the one true God that you are. God, I ask that you would move in this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.